welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And we come to you on a week that saw Tim Donaghy back in the news thanks to an investigative report by ESPN about last decade's big NBA sports betting scandal. John, you were courtside covering the NBA for plenty of Donaghy games back in the day. The world needs to know whose calls were more suspect, Tim Donaghy's or Enrico Palazzo's? Yeah, I, I just learned something in this article that was a bit of a relief. Uh, NBA beat writers now sit in the rafters with the 99 percenters. Um, right. Back in the 1990s, the league still had a sit either at center court alongside the official scores and broadcasters or a table set up just under the baskets. And I mean, just under the basket. So I mean, at times we could see a foul called on a play. We're not even 10 feet away from it. Um, I never thought that much of the quality of Donahue's calls, but um, uh, never did I imagine anything like this happening. So uh, imagine my relief when the article uh, that just came out concluded that Donahue's switch to the dark side kind of came around 2002, uh, which is a year after I stopped covering the league. So mm. maybe what I saw was just a mediocre ref, and I can blame <laughs> the I can blame the subsequent beat guys for not uncovering this scandal. So uh, I'm feeling pretty smug right now, is what I'm saying. Okay, yeah, it's not uh, it's not on your shoulders to have identified this, right? Uh, and you didn't respond at all to uh, the Enrico Palazzo reference. Did it go uh, over your head? Oh, very nice. Very nice. I was okay. a Leslie Nielsen fan back in the day. <laughs> All right. And, just wanted to make sure. OK. Uh, Enrico was a little more uh, flamboyant about his calls. <laughs> that. That, that he was. Uh, and I haven't heard it speculated yet whether perhaps Donaghy was just making questionable foul calls in an effort to protect the Queen's life. Uh, we, can, we can't rule that out. That could be. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 28 of Gamble On. If you missed any of the previous 27 episodes, you can find them all on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And you know the drill, people. Subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend, tweet about it, Snapchat about it, post an Instagram selfie of you listening to the pod, etc. Uh, all of the above. And uh, Eric, coming up a little later on the podcast, we'll be speaking to professional sports better Rufus Peabody, who uh, somewhat controversially finished in third place in last month's DraftKings Sports Betting National Championship. Uh, we'll talk to Rufus about that event and about how betting on sports has changed in the post-passport world. Uh, but first, it's been yet another busy week in the gambling business. So let's get right to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. can't seem to go a week on this podcast without talking about the Department of Justice's new opinion on the Wire Act and its potential impact, and this week is no exception. The big news of the week is that the first formal legal complaint against the DOJ's opinion has been filed, and it came out of New Hampshire uh, with State Attorney General Gordon J. McDonald writing that the DOJ opinion, quote, has the potential to create catastrophic consequences for lotteries across the country, end quote. Uh, New Hampshire is seeking an order declaring that the Wire Act doesn't apply to state-conducted lottery activity and asking that the entire DOJ opinion be vacated. John, you spoke to a few industry experts about this. There seems to be near-unanimous agreement that New Hampshire will prevail via a summary judgment, but what are the experts saying about what it'll mean in the big picture? Uh, right. There's There seems to be a, uh, a precedent here in that circuit that the presumption is the court will uh, will yield to. So we sort of almost know, almost know that New Hampshire will win, but we don't know the margin of victory. So it seems the more likely route is fairly narrow. So if a ruling clarified that New Jersey or New Hampshire, rather, and a, and a handful of other states 
can continue the sale of online lottery tickets. And they just started New Hampshire last fall. That's one thing. Uh, maybe there's something broader that seems to let all lottery options off the hook. Um, you know, as MGM CEO Jim Moran stated in an investors call last week, if you take this DOJ opinion literally, it seems as if the multi-state lotteries like Powerball or Mega Millions would be violating federal law. Right. Uh, so will I get cleared up? Uh, and then whatever the outcome, interest, state, uh, sports, uh, online sports betting may still kind of need its own legal clarification. Uh, Senator Ray Lesniak in New Jersey, who's going to represent the state again on this, uh, that's what he says. He, he's not even that focused on the New Hampshire rule, and he feels like they have to go ahead next month uh, anyway. And, of course, that interstate online poker compact of New Jersey, Delaware, and Nevada uh, is not going to get solved, uh, I don't think, by anything that uh, New Hampshire does. Well, unless uh, they they get the one thing they're asking for of just for the entire DOJ opinion to be vacated, I guess if if that were to happen, then uh, the the interstate poker issue uh, goes back to the way it was before this opinion came down. Right. But, that's a that's a long shot, but I'm still betting in the long run. DOJ just lets the sleeping dog lie, uh, you know, with a new attorney general. Uh, once enough months go by with inaction like that, I think the nervous legislators and operators will probably get less nervous and action will resume. So this is a definite hiccup and, and a pain in the neck for a lot of people in the industry. But um, uh, in the long run, I don't see it meaning that much after all. Right. Well, it's, it's certainly interesting how the lottery is the gambling industry's friend on this. <laughs> uh, for, for years and years, the feeling for a lot of us was – why the hell is the lottery legal in a given state, but casino games aren't? Uh, the lottery always felt like the adversary for those of us who supported legalizing forms of gambling that involved some level of skill. But in this case, it turns out that you know protecting the lottery is helping to possibly get this DOJ opinion thrown out or, or muted or, or something to that effect, uh, which would, uh, if, if it, again, if, if it got thrown out, that would certainly uh, save interstate online poker. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, I think the biggest question mark out of all of this is still just how, how online poker will ultimately be affected. It seems we're all feeling optimistic about most of the rest of gambling coming out unscathed in the end. Yeah. I, I feel a little bit bad for that industry too. I mean, obviously there are professional online poker players. It's clearly a game of skill. Uh, people first didn't realize that you could be as talented winning online as you could in person. You know, the old fashioned, oh, I saw the tell, he scratched his hand, you know, whatever. And I, I knew what he had. And the idea is, well, you can't do that online. Well, guess what? Um, even little things such as how quickly somebody jumps in, the professionals can figure it out. Like they can read the mind now, not just look at the physical tell. So um, these are pure professionals. Um, there are no professional online slots players, uh, whether they claim they are or not. It's just luck. Uh, and so it's kind of weird that online slots and online lottery are getting uh, uh, an easier time than online poker yeah no certainly uh and uh as as someone who uh has done much better playing online poker over the years than playing live poker uh i can uh, attest that it's a somewhat different skill set but it certainly is uh still a game of skill um but uh while I'm playing, I don't have to worry about the tells I'm giving off, which is uh, always kind of nice to relax and just play the cards. Um, all right, moving on. Our second story uh, is really a roundup of several news stories spread across several states uh, and one district regarding sports betting and or online gaming legislation. The big news comes out of Washington, D.C., where the much-talked-about sports betting bill has officially passed the D.C. Council, and it will hand an online monopoly to Intralot, the D.C. lottery's vendor. So sort of a good news, bad news situation there. Elsewhere, the Illinois governor, J.B. Pritzker, stated in no uncertain terms on Wednesday that he wants the state to take up sports betting ASAP. 
A sports betting bill moved forward in Iowa, and it includes mobile considerations. An online gaming bill in West Virginia took a step forward toward a full vote on the House floor. An Ohio lawmaker told U.S. Bets that he expects to introduce a sports betting bill next month. And late-breaking news, just this morning, a bill advanced out of a Senate committee in Indiana. So among this flurry of activity, what stands out to you, John, as either the most important or the most surprising bit of news? Yeah, a couple of important ones. I think uh, Illinois, Iowa, and uh, Indiana, the ice states, um, potentially <laughs> leading the way on a Midwest gold rush for sports betting. Uh, this is similar to the casino wars from two decades ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it doesn't happen right away, but then eventually you get a couple of states that have it, and now somebody's surrounded by uh, by legal gambling, and their residents are ready to start leaving state lines to play, and then the other states join in. So um, if those all three happen in the next, say, six months, um, I think you're going to see – I think more legalization throughout the Midwest than I, I would have expected in 2019. So that's big. Um, the other one is West Virginia and Iowa talking online sports betting. You know, obviously those of us who f- closely follow the U.S. legal gambling expansion and the monster online numbers New Jersey's putting up, you know, we're mystified how every state doesn't offer it if they offer brick and mortar uh, sports betting. But now there seems to be a momentum coming there too. And again, I, that could be a domino effect. Um, as for D- D.C., I, I want to put my hands over my ears, you know, earmuffs style, and just say, <laughs> la, 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 and pretend it's not happening. Um, all I'll say on that is whatever numbers that, that D.C. lottery projects as first-year revenues, bet the under, bet it big. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you pretty much nailed all the things that jumped out at me. Certainly the Midwest factor is a big one. I'm, I'm glad to see these states making moves. Uh, we've talked about how this will spread on a regional basis as one state moves toward legalization. Its neighboring states will be more likely to follow. So, you know, Iowa, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, that's a really solid collection of, of dominoes that are falling and, and will knock other dominoes down. Uh, Illinois, as home to a major city in Chicago, Feels like the most important one if we wanted to single one out, Uh, although really statewide Ohio has almost the same population as Illinois, and they're both in the same ballpark as Pennsylvania. Um, But uh, you mentioned the online factor. Uh, You mentioned uh, West Virginia on that front. Uh, the, The Illinois plan. Uh, also very specifically takes into account online and mobile sports betting. So it just seems like all over people are starting to learn from the New Jersey example. If if you don't include online, it's barely worth doing. So so that's a good sign. These, These are all good signs pointing toward sports betting and online gaming moving toward those multi-billion dollar projections that have been floating out there for years. Yeah, maybe these guys are reading our tweets or our websites or listening to the podcast. I don't know, but the legislators are starting to wake up a little bit, I think. Probably they are. I think you and I should get the bulk of the credit for all of this. Let's go for that, yeah. (laughs) All right, let's move along to our third and final story. Uh, John writes a fair bit on our sister site, njonlinegambling.com, about horse racing, but we haven't really talked about it on the podcast at all. That changes now, as the long-gestating $20 million a year per subsidy bill has been signed into law by Governor Phil Murphy in New Jersey, with $10 million going to Monmouth Park, $6 million to the Meadowlands Racetrack, and other smaller amounts being spread around, all to increase purses and improve the quality of the races and the horses in them. The catch is that whereas this was originally supposed to be a five-year, $100 million plan, now it's only guaranteed for the first year and the tracks have to show positive results for it to continue. 
John, how badly did the New Jersey horse racing industry need this? You know, it's it's been a decade now I've been covering this that the state's horsemen have been saying they can't survive without state aid, which they lost at that point. Um, but they have. Now, there's been a loss of jobs, loss of foals, loss of farms, loss of money. Um, but the industry's leaders have racing in their blood, and they just won't quit. They can't quit. But without this sort of subsidy, uh, soon enough, there's going to be no new blood, and then it, it would eventually go out of business. So uh, they, they did need it, and they probably needed it sooner rather than later. Um, as far as a lack of guarantee, I think this is a net positive for the horsemen. Um, if not for that pressure, there might have been less focus on documenting the value of the subsidy. And for all the talk of five years and $100 million, every appropriation like this uh, technically comes up for a vote in Trenton uh, every year anyway. So I think what will be gone now is the risk at the last minute some legislators take a second look at this question and say, wait a minute, you know, why are we giving this money out? And if the horsemen got blindsided, that, that could kill the subsidy. You know, Now we know they have to show tangible results, and that's not only a reasonable request, I think, for the legislators, but I think it's also good for the horsemen. You know, Just last night, uh, State Senate President Steve Sweeney, who was bickering on a housing aid bill with Governor uh, Murphy, and they're both Democrats, but the Senate may try and veto uh, or override Murphy's veto of a bill, is he threw in, oh, by the way, the, the horsemen are getting $20 million a year. Well, how come they get it and, and I can't get my bill? And that's what I kind of wondered that might happen in Trenton. So the horsemen made it by the skin of their teeth by just a matter of days that they're in for 2019. But this that was a good hint last night that every year they were going to have a risk anyway of getting the rug pulled out from under them. So now that they know that they have to really prove uh, the benefits of, of the money and what it, what it brings to the state, I, I think they're better off in the long run. Yeah, interesting point. It's the it's the test that you know is coming and you can prepare for versus the pop quiz that that you didn't realize was was getting dropped on you. Um, it's interesting timing this deal getting done right at the same time that former Governor Chris Christie gets announced as an inductee into the Sports Betting Hall of Fame. Uh, I don't think Christie will be going into the Horse Racing Hall of Fame. Uh, maybe <laughs> Phil Murphy will eventually. Uh, but a- anyway, this is great news uh, for the New Jersey horse racing industry for all, all the reasons you said, that, that they really needed a, a boost. You know, 100 years ago, the three major sports in America were baseball, boxing, and horse racing. It's all coming back. I can feel it. You, you Even... had a nice run, football and basketball, but I think yeah. the good all days are returning even 40 years ago that was true i'm old enough to remember it so uh <laughs> yeah we'll, uh, we'll see what happens right it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling let's get to the gamble on interview It's hard to make a living betting on sports, but it's not impossible, as the man now joining us on the podcast has spent the last decade or so proving. Rufus Peabody is a professional better and sports analyst, and he's the co-founder of Massey Peabody Analytics and the co-host of the podcast Bet the Process. He also finished third, under highly controversial circumstances, in the inaugural DraftKings Sports Betting National Championship last month, and he was one of the few bettors who nailed the Rams, scoring exactly three points in the Super Bowl at 250. To one, uh, Rufus, welcome to Gamble On. Thanks for having me, guys. So let, let's start with the DraftKings event. Uh, you spoke in detail about it immediately afterward, explained how inconsistencies in grading bets prevented you from betting the final game and might well have been the difference between you winning a million dollars and winning about a third of that. Uh, now that a little over a month has passed, not getting into the legal side of things, just on the personal side, What's your level of anger or, or negative emotion over how it played out? Well, I'm still a little bit frustrated uh, about how it did play out. You know, I was in a position where 
I should have controlled my own destiny. And, you know, I, I had a bet that if I, if I had actually gotten it, gotten it off in time, I uh, would have won. But, you know, it's one of those things that, that I couldn't control. And so there's no use really stressing over it at this point. Um, I've had plenty of bad beats in my life. This one was probably the greatest financially, but it's for whatever reason, I was a little more calm about it than I was some of these other ones uh, early in my career. So I think, you know, with, with time comes perspective. Okay. And, and the next time that they try one of these, and, and I'm sure we all expect that there will be a next time, do you think we'll see amended rules and, and a different approach to the final day? I do think so. I think it'll be a little more organized. And this was kind of put together, it seems like, pretty last minute. And it was the first contest of its kind ever. And so I applaud DraftKings for for, for trying that. And, uh, you know, I wish it had been, uh, you know, I wish the rules had been a little more clear and they had, uh, and the betting had been done in a more punctual manner, but, or the grading. Um, right. But I, I do, I do think, I, I do think it'll be a little bit more together. Uh, yeah. Rufus, I spent more than six years uh, closely following the New Jersey effort to overturn PASPA, the federal law that mostly banned legal sports betting really outside of Nevada. Um, how closely did you follow the latter stages of this? I'm wondering. And in what way has life changed for you since the U S Supreme court ruling almost a year ago that opened uh, it up for any state to do this? So I, I didn't follow it super closely. I, I, I was aware of what was going on, but I, I didn't think it would have as much of an effect as it has had. You know, for someone that bets for a living, just because um, I didn't know if New Jersey would be competitive with with Vegas and with sort of the offshore market. But I think that, um, you know, I think that they've, you know, there's, I, I'm surprised and I'm pleasantly surprised that we have so many operators in New Jersey. I, I personally wish that more of them would would sort of um, take bets and and not go with this sort of European style model of trying to limit sharps and, and try to just get action exclusively from recreational betters. But I, I think it, it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out in, in other states down the line. And, and also in New Jersey to see if if the marketplace can can uh, sustain 12 different operators. They have 13 now. 13. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky number. Yes. <laughs> All right. You mentioned the, the limiting of sharps. Is that something that you have experienced personally trying to bet in New Jersey or, or something that you're hearing about secondhand from other friends who've experienced it? I, I've just heard from other friends. I haven't actually placed any bets in New Jersey myself, but it's something, um, you know, I've, I've been outside of the country for a long time and now I'm, I'm back in the country, but uh, it's something that, that I'm definitely going to pursue in the future. But I, I, I don't think I'm allowed in William Hills properties there just because I'm not allowed in you know, in, in Nevada. So, right. Uh, and I, it's, you know, I, I, I know some, some sharp betters that have had issues with that, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that things are going to improve. Okay. Um, on a very different subject, I saw some recent tweets from you in response to the new Showtime documentary series about sports betting. Uh, you are clearly not a fan of Vegas Dave uh, and their decision to <laughs> use him in the series. Uh, I'm, is your opinion that all touts are are bad and and con artists uh or is your reaction specific to this individual this vegas dave character well i think vegas dave is just the most egregious offender of in in the tout world because he he you know he, he'll buy futures tickets on every team before the season begins and then later on in the season be like ah, i had 50 to 1 for a huge amount of money on this one team and you know he'll quote a record he basically plays a martingale system in major league baseball meaning he'll just double up 
on, uh, you know, if his bet loses, he'll double. And if it loses, he'll double again and then say, oh, well, this is the system. That's one win. And so he has a record of like 120 wins and four losses. But the four losses are all 60, <laughs> 60 units or something. So, so I mean, uh, but, but more generally, I think the tout industry, um, I, I don't want to say that all touts are losing betters. But if, if you're a winning tout, it becomes uh, the business model becomes unsustainable because there are people out there that will see your information move on those picks and basically blow up the market, move the lines. And so the average customer won't be able to get down at the lines that you actually sent out. And so in, in efficient markets, and these markets, I guess, you know, the bigger markets, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, are pretty efficient. Uh, you know, if, if you're getting a worse price, that's the difference between, you know, winning and losing. And so in general, like anytime you see some handicap or a tout, claim that they've been doing this for 30 years and you know serving the community for 30 years that means that they're they've been generally losing or best break even for 30 years and so especially after fees i, I don't think it ever pays to to buy picks gotcha yeah uh yeah rufus uh, february is a short month so uh march madness is right around the corner which is going to be exciting for a lot of us but um I, I wonder how do you approach wagering in the tournament in general you know there are futures bets round by round parlays, bracket pools, and so on? Like, what what uh, made for a uh, casual player who who uh, might be naive on, on what to do? Do you have a recommendations for them? Or? Well, for a casual player, I'd say just play your NCAA tournament pool. That's fun, <laughs> and, you know, your expectation is, is probably a little bit better. Personally, I, I'm not a hoops guy, so I don't handicap hoops myself. Or, you know, I'll probably look for some sort of derivative bets, some relative value, look at some of the math systems out there and see if things look off. And as I do most NCAA tournaments, and, and I'll, I'll probably have some action, but but not not a lot. So what what are what are your sports then? Obviously, uh, we we know you bet uh, football. Uh, if if you're not into hoops, what are some of your other uh, specialties? So football, golf, and baseball. That, okay. That's it. That's it. It's it's hard to find time, you know, to to do more. And the, I, I feel like I'm spread too thin as it is. It seems like I kind of, in a way, I'm envious of people that just focus on one sport because they're able to focus all of their mental energy on this one thing and get really good at it. Whereas I feel like I'm pulled in so many different directions, even though it's just three, well, I guess four sports. Cause I, I'm, I consider college football different than the NFL. Yeah. Uh, Rufus, I got to ask you then um, I'm on a hot roll on golf myself uh, in a pool. Um, I'm looking at top 10 and top 20 finishes and, and odds on players just below the radar, the Mark Leishman level types is, uh, am I uh, onto something there a little bit? Yeah, I think that there's there's definitely some inefficiencies there. The quite, I mean, the, the problem is a lot of bookmakers don't really offer that stuff. So the fact that you you have someone that does, um, or at least not for decent limits, but uh, I think you know there's definitely value to be had, especially if you can run a simulation type thing. Which I think you know I think golf is interesting in the fact that like it's not intuitively um, apparent what the odds of you know let's say the tenth best golfer in the field should be to be in the top ten. Right. Or to win, for that matter. So I think that I think a little math can go a long way. Well, one one issue John and I never have to concern ourselves with is uh, whether the limits are too low for our bankrolls and the amounts we're willing to bet. <laughs> but I but I guess for you, that's a, a little more of a concern sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it's uh, that's the problem with smaller markets in general. There's the trade off between, you know, between edge and volume. So generally, the bigger the edge you have, the less you're going to be able to get down on it. Right. 
All right. Really interesting stuff. Uh, it's, it's been great talking to you, Rufus. Uh, congratulations, of course, on your high finish in that DraftKings event. Uh, and even if it uh, wasn't quite as high as uh, maybe you uh, wanted or some people would even say deserved, still a, a nice chunk of change. So uh, congrats on that. And I guess uh, enjoy the rest of your semi-off season until baseball begins. Well, thanks a lot. Two men. Two men. Ten thousand dollars. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Forgive us for sounding like a broken record, but it was another winning week with the Gamble On bankroll. We did lose $50 on the bet made two weeks ago for Stephen Curry to be the All-Star Game MVP. Uh, We just had the wrong Golden State Warrior there, I guess. Uh, But we won our other two bets. Uh, My boxing bet on Thomas Ward paid off. I risked $150 to profit $100 that he would specifically win by decision last Friday night, and he did. He scored a big knockdown in the fourth round, uh, and it looked like he might get a knockout win. That got me nervous, but then he got back to his feather-fisted ways, and the fight went the distance. Uh, And John had another good week end on the links as he turned $100 into $250 by betting on Adam Scott to finish in the top 20. He finished uh, tied for seventh. Is that right? Yes, he did. All right. So could have done the top 10 bet, uh, but no sense being greedy about it. We got the win there. We're now up $2,118 and we have $960 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with a new high water mark of $11,158 to play with this week. And you're up first, John. Uh, I have to mention you. Uh, you you mentioned a broken record. Uh, I don't know how well that's going to play with our younger focus group. <laughs> True, uh, and I, I could have said skipping CD, but they might not know, even know that yeah, one. Yeah, even either. that. Yeah, that's a reach. But uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Scott actually made a bid to win the LA event. In fact, so yeah, you know it's a good bet when your player goes six over par in the last ten holes, and he still finishes tied for seven. So if I w- a top five would have been a brutal beat watching right. it. It was. It would have been horrible. So I'm going back to the golf well. Uh, we're in Mexico this week, and uh, uh, John Rahm, who previously was a winner for me. Uh, about a month ago. Um, he's been in the top 10 in his last six tournaments, uh, which is amazing. Uh, this is a World Golf Championship event, so it's a very strong field, but there's also fewer than 70 players entered, so um, I'm just going to try 100 to win 125, that he gets another top 10, and then 50 to win 175, that he lands in a top five. Oh, okay. I like the the double bet there. I'll see what happens. Um, I'm going to throw another Oscars bet on the fire. Uh, last chance before the awards show this Sunday. I think on last week's podcast, I got confused and said it was last Sunday. Uh, so to clarify, it's this Sunday so we can make some more bets. Uh, we have a couple of underdogs already. Uh, we have... Green Book at plus 450 for Best Picture and Bradley Cooper at plus 2200 for Best Actor. Let's go with a favorite. I haven't seen the movie The Wife, uh, but I know everyone in the industry considers Glenn Close a slam dunk to win Best Actress. Um, As an aside, she was fantastic on the one season of The Shield that she appeared on. Uh, Were you by chance a Shield watcher, John? Uh, No, I was not. Great show. Uh, But I digress. Uh, So she's uh, never won an Oscar. Uh, This is her seventh nomination. That's the most for any actor who hasn't won one. Uh, And she's about a seven to one or eight to one favorite at most of the books I checked on. But at FanDuel Sportsbook, she's only minus 480. Uh, With our big bankroll, we can afford to spend some money to back a favorite. So let's go ahead and risk $480 to win $100 on Glenn Close. You know, somebody told me years ago that um, 
I reminded them very much of a character in The Wire who was a newspaper reporter, but I don't know what the character is, and I've never seen the show, so I'll I'll take his word. Well, for I, it. I was referring to the Shield. You're th- and you you mentioned oh, the, the, wire. the Wire. Oh, okay. yeah, I haven't seen but, I haven't seen either one. <laughs> <laughs> they're both great shows. I personally okay. prefer the Shield, but I think I'm in the minority on that one. Uh, yeah, but, uh, sure. yeah. When when you get time. Uh, which will, you know, happen someday uh, when when you <laughs> retire, maybe. Uh, I recommend uh, both The Wire and The Shield. All right, sounds good. Now back to the betting. Uh, Alliance of American Football is now on the dance card in New Jersey and I think Pennsylvania, too, if I'm not mistaken. You would know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love 110 on the Orlando Apollos to win 100 uh, and cover a whopping 15.5 point spread versus the Memphis Express. Um, I can go on to details about how uh, AAF teams are doing at home against the spread so far and all that, but let me cut to the chase. Orlando's coach is Steve Spurrier and the Express's quarterback is Christian Hackenberg. Uh, and so keep in mind that the the same uh, front office that thought Christian Hackenberg might be a good choice of quarterback was picking a lot of the other players too. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. 15 and a half is not enough for the, uh, the, the poor Memphis express. Okay. Uh, I am just going to trust you on this one. Cause I haven't watched any uh, AAF at all yet. Um, but I, I do like the bet against uh, Christian Hackenberg and uh, <laughs> a, a management that would surround him with other players. That, that mentality <laughs> makes sense. It's a good starting point. I suppose. <laughs> all right, we'll see. For our final bet this week, I'm going back to boxing. Uh, there's a big fight in London on Saturday night, uh, Saturday afternoon, our time, uh, a super middleweight clash between James DeGale and Chris Eubank Jr. airing live on Showtime. Uh, by the way, I highly recommend listeners checking out the Showtime Championship Boxing Podcast for no particular reason. Just throwing that out there. Uh, anyway, it's a real toss-up fight. Uh, Bet Stars actually has it at minus 110 both ways. They don't have a favorite, uh, but most books see Eubank as a slight favorite. And my best guess is that Eubank will win over the distance, which that specific outcome is plus 270 at FanDuel. So I'm going to risk 100 on that to win $270. Uh, Plus, this is a fight where I think it's worth throwing $20 on the draw at 18 to 1. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, the people have waited long enough for your weekly words of wisdom. Please do your thing and take us out. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Uh, I want to offer some financial advice regarding sporting event giveaways. Very, very niche, uh, niche audience there. But <laughs> if you can charge more for the giveaway on eBay than you have to pay for the ticket on StubHub, that is the ultimate win-win. And I found that perfect storm on Tuesday night attending the Devils-Penguins uh, NHL game in Newark while picking up my David Putty Seinfeld character Devils face painter <laughs> bobblehead. I imagine whatever prize you earn for rallying to beat me on NFL picks this season would pale in comparison. So until next time, gamble on. Gamble on.